We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The pub was, I went to the North Terrace before, which I do with my dad very often, uh, just just class like Fulham were beating Liverpool when we got there it was just it was all just everybody was just so excited about football being back Newcastle being back getting to watch the team absolutely obliterate Nottingham Forest it was it was just lush it was beautiful we had the weather it was kind of you know traditional opening day of the season weather uh, the ground was packed like you say town was packed many hours before kickoff there was a real atmosphere in town there was a real kind of air of expectation and excitement that, I mean, I can't think of the last time that happened. Year, years ago, really, decades even, since we've been that excited for a game. Normally you travelled all the way up here um, from the southeast of England, mate. How was your day? It was magnificent, mate. Um, back in what Charlotte and you've just said there, I got into Newcastle to meet uh, Chris Shipman off the train at 12 o'clock and there were just hordes of people coming through the barriers. Central Station was absolutely rambled and you see excitement there, is, there, is, there was excitement huge excitement but at the same time it was almost like this kind of this calmness there was no it felt like there wasn't any panic it, it was it was like a, a hope and an expectation that was kind of I don't know almost like realistic there was no sort of alright if uh, we've got this team at home today this is a big game for because we pick up three points from the against Forest fellow relegation rival It's a, it'll be an imp- important start of the season it was just like no no we're going to win we're feeling relaxed and this is the start of something special um, one of the most enjoyable opening days of the season I've had and I can't I genuinely can't remember possibly Robson 4-0 West Ham but that was a Monday night so it didn't even feel as as good then. Um, it was twenty uh, years, mate. Twenty <laughs> years. Be people listen to this who weren't alive. I was a mere strip of a lad myself back then. <laughs> um, but uh, I, a, a fantastic day, and everything that could have gone right did. So I bottle that moment. I can't. I can't really add much more to what these two guys have said. It was an unbelievably enjoyable opening day of the season. I think it's. I'd quite like to say just just because it's the top of the show. Wasn't the best game of football? I think it's fair to say that, and we'll get into that. But it doesn't matter because of of, of the mood changing because of how much of a mint day it was. But as as a football ninety minute football match, it was it was okay. But the rest of the everything outside of that was was brilliant. Ooh, Norman's giving me a funny look here. But I don't I th- know if I agree. Is well, it? Well, it we will talk game. about this, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I class day, class day, and obviously any patrons listening will hear how buzzing I was, how buzzing Norman was on the match day, on the on the post match reaction. So I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend I wasn't happy. Just on reflection of the football match itself, there's been better football matches. A few people well, came up to true, me. But like... A few people came up to me at the live event on Thursday and just said, "What happened to Sai? 
what did you do to him? He's back. <laughs> He's, He's back. back. Don't worry about it. We've reset. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we will we will talk about the football match, sorry. Um I don't know how much we can analyse how bad Nottingham Forest were to make the game <laughs> very one sided, but but we will analyse it, I promise. Um it was just a fantastic occasion, wasn't it? And it's yeah. one of those things when when the teams come out at full time and, and teams will get more used to it and they probably talk about it. I think they've always talked about how quiet the crowd in Newcastle, but they probably talk about the welcome you'll receive now. But there just isn't another ground in in British football, maybe Rangers, but not as good um, in terms of you know when the players enter the pitch, the wall of noise, the wall of colour, the wall of flags, the fact that it is a real event, the fact that it's not just the start of the game. Those Forest players and those Forest fans have got to be thinking, fucking hell. This is the Premier League. Well, it's not the Premier League. It's only Newcastle United. You're not going to get that. Don't worry, Forrest. You're not going <laughs> to get that against Everton or some shit team like that. I don't know. But it, but it is a real privilege to be there. And kind of as the teams walk out like two minutes to three, I'm thinking this this is an absolute privilege to watch this, to be part of this experience is, um, is quite something. And then and then the game starts and, and we won and we were excellent. I thought we'll talk about that. Nottingham Forest weren't excellent. Talk about that less. But ultimately, Charlotte, you said that you, even after the game, took in how people were feeling around the stadium and stuff like that. Yeah, I do this sometimes. Um, and I, I sort of, it's a little habit I started la- last season when we started getting better. Um, I drop my dad off because my mum picks him up and he goes off home. And uh, and then I, I go back to the stadium and like walk around and, and sort of absorb people leaving or people hanging around like so many people hang around now and um, there's people going into the club shop after the game like there's you know people They've just got to staff it now yeah, <laughs> yeah it's open <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah just people want to hang around people taking photos by the bobby statue or by the shira statue um you know you get some of that and like tourists here and there but like people like like crowd of them waiting to have their photo taken and things like that and 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 crowding around for the players to leave and things probably because ASM seems to be giving out fine watches <laughs> now <laughs> to random fans. I know where I'm heading after Manson. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah I just I really love the like smiles on people's faces the 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 sort of huddles of people walking away from the ground making their plans of what they're going to do next like go for a pint here we'll go for a pint here or or we'll we'll go and do this we'll go and get food here and and like they're excited about the rest of their afternoon and evening where before it was like just get me away from here like just please on a metro zoom away from St James's Park as as quickly as possible it helped that it's summer it helped that it's sunny but it it nothing Nothing contributed to that more than the, the the being in St James's Park and what happened on the pitch yesterday. Sign si, Norman, you're in the corner, the famous corner. Um, I thought the atmosphere first half uh, waned a little bit, but second half the place was absolutely bouncing. And I'm watching from the Melbourne stand. Was that your experience, Sai? Hundred percent. I mean, pre-match, um, it was unbelievable. It was so loud. I couldn't even hear Norman speak. I was trying to chat to him. hadn't seen him for ages, but I had no idea what he was saying. It was, it was that loud, and you just got carried away and swept away with it. From the moment the flag started, from the moment the music started, it was just unbelievable. I think you're right. I think we we talked about this yesterday, me and Norman. Like the, the when you're the better team and you don't score that goal, everyone starts to get a bit nervous. It's just something we've got used to. It's it's kind of a a, a mindset of a Newcastle fan that we have to break away from now because we should have just believed and we did to be fair that the goal was coming but you're right by about 35 minutes without all those great chances in the first half 
And then we started to kind of run out of steam and run out of ideas. And it's like, oh, man, the goal's not going to come here. And the atmosphere went with it. A little bit of nervousness set in, a little bit of kind of what's going to happen here. Are we going to see the same old Newcastle United who has all these chances but still fails to win the game? But as soon as we got that goal, as soon as Cher hit the, hit the stanchion and, and whacked it in, the, the, the sense of relief and reverting straight back to that party enjoyment atmosphere was was almost instant and I've never I've never experienced half an hour of Newcastle match where I've had felt zero zero fear zero concerns about the the result of the game and that that's probably why the atmosphere flipped back on its head and was just just fun and and enjoyable and and electric once more until the end of the game and as usual the final whistle was a was a glorious moment I have to say that um that sort of fear that you were talking about I definitely felt that that feels like a bit of a hangover like we're just not we're not yeah. we're not over that yet from like previous seasons um but I, I don't think that the uh team felt that at all Definitely, they seemed yeah. really I know we'll get into the more analysis of it but they f- did like looking back they were so calm they were just so confident that yeah this will come it's not a problem it's fine I think we are playing a part of it we spoke about that yesterday but we also have to I guess take into consideration that we're now going to be starting games as favourites to win them for the first time in many, many years. And we were absolutely expected to win yesterday. And I do think that when you're going to a match with this expectation and confidence that you're going to win, naturally, the atmosphere isn't perhaps as vibrant for the full 90 minutes. If you're kind of a backs against the wall or playing against a so-called big team or playing in a really important game, let's say Arsenal last season, right? We That was huge in the sense that it, it was a real mark of where we were. It was a big game for them. It was on TV. The atmosphere was incessant. This was a newly promoted team on a Saturday that we were expected to steamroller. So we dominate the game. We don't score. It gans a little bit quiet. I think we'll probably see that pop up a few times this season. I don't think that's anything negative in terms of our, we're maybe not the fan base that we thought we were because we're quiet for lots of games. When you are a good side and when you're expected to win games, there are periods during the game where, you know what, you can't get quite as excited because it's almost, you're just waiting for something to happen to, to kind of reignite it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I have one further theory on this. And um, Newcastle City Centre was as busy as I've ever seen it on a match day for many, many years. Now, I got the bus in and it was a good half hour late. I had to stand. It was heaving. Got to town. I went to Bar Logo. I went to 20 minutes to get to the bar. Like So the usual levels of inebriation, which contribute to the atmosphere, probably weren't there <laughs> for, for a large amount of that crowd. They probably got one less pint. They probably got into town a little bit later than they were expecting to. So there's a few other factors to consider there. But you're absolutely right, Norman. I think to... 
to maintain the outrageous levels of, of of atmosphere from last season because every game was a backs against the wall. Every game was a relegation six-pointer. This wasn't a relegation six-pointer. It was a game against the worst team in the league who probably will be the worst team in the league based on yesterday's performance. And you're right, you can't, you can't go tits for 90 minutes for every game. It's not sustainable. So, yeah, there's a few other things at play there. But, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that, that atmosphere second half was class. It was absolutely brilliant. And, again, Forest players in particular must be thinking fucking hell if it's like this every week we've got no chance but as I said it's not we're just class on and <laughs> off the pitch um, really quick one before we talk about the actual football in part two of the show um, I was when I sit in this seat that I've got in the Melbourne stand which I do every other game um, you get a very good view of the coaching staff and the managers and like you just said how in Tyndall were very calm. Yeah, Tyndall was still giving the fourth official brief, but he'd do that. He would do that. That's his thing. He would do that even if he wasn't employed by the club. <laughs> uh, he'd find a way. Um, but but Cooper uh, and coach and staff, from minute one, it, from minute one, it wasn't going right. And then I mean, in minute one, their player, who had a really good game, I thought the centre-back with Wilson, number 19, um, he boots one out for a corner, and their manager turns around and a lip read, saying to his assistant, that's nerves, that's nerves shaking his head so they were nervous like and that that calmness is almost kind of part of the reason i think it was so easy there was no panic and, and like you said yeah the atmosphere dropped off but no one's booing at half time yeah no one's no one's grumbling it was just kind of like we are dominating this game in, in a manner that i've not really seen as dominate even teams um from lower divisions definitely not cambridge but before cambridge and you know when you used to play teams in the uh first round of the league cup for example we got relegated we controlled that game to such an effect that I don't think there was any question in anyone's mind um, before we took the lead that we would take the lead. And when we, when we did take the lead, that was the game over. And I think Forrest's coaching staff and players knew that almost from minute one because of the press, because of the fact they couldn't string two passes together. And it was a lovely old day. We're going to come back after these very short adverts uh, and move on to part two of the show. I'll start on part two and want to talk about the actual game now. One of the things which is so different, even to last season, even to last season, is that our intensity didn't drop at any point. We were fitter than them. We were fitter than them. And I think we are one of the fittest teams in the league. Normally last season, we'd, have, we'd dominate teams in the first half and then we might come out and do really well second half. I'm thinking about Wolves and Palace, Leicester to an extent, in particular those home games. Um... And then we would kind of drop off and then rely on our defensive capability to see the game out. There was none of that yesterday. Minute 90, Joe Linton's still closing lads down. You look at Newcastle's second goal, uh, which is scored relatively late in the game. And, you know, Newcastle are still pressing the other team high up the pitch. Pre-season under Eddie Howe has already made a massive difference. A massive difference. If you think of where we were this time last season, traipsing off against West Ham, having the opposite occur, and being getting worse as the game went on, Newcastle went better as the game went on. And that's really satisfying. It's really satisfying as a fan to know that the lads are going to get better each week on the training pitch, not worse or standstill or, or best case scenario, pick up a few injuries as mm. the season goes by, but somehow limp through um, being able to compete somewhat with other teams. We were the fittest team yesterday and that, that team in that midfield in particular um if you can't beat our press, I'm not sure how you beat us. And that's what teams are going to have to work out. And it's it's risky because Forrest tried to beat our press for the second goal and they're 2-0 down because of the quality we've got. 
you picked out something else, Charlotte, didn't you, from that you saw during the game about players popping the ball off to each other and stuff like that. That excited you. Yes, it did excite me. Oh, they excited me. Um the again it's a, it's a little bit of the hangover thing side that we were talking about um in part one but um you know what i noticed yesterday was that our players are um sending balls to each other without necessarily looking which is just like because they know they're well drilled and they know someone's going to be there when the ball left say like shares feet and it's and it's going to i don't know dan Bain or something um i like when it left his feet i was like oh no because he hasn't looked like that's gonna and then and then it's received because they're in the right place and they're doing the right thing yeah. and it's all so so well drilled it's just it's it's still quite like thrilling to watch as a Newcastle fan and I hope it remains thrilling because it's nice to appreciate that kind of thing um but yeah I, I, I definitely sort of was picking that out yesterday because I found myself sort of tensing when that happened and then relaxing, and then and then as the game went on, being like, no, actually, this team really knows what they're doing. They really have trained. I think it's just something we're not used to having football players who are good enough to play one touch passes. Yeah, it's, it's as simple as that. You've got balls from Bruno to to Joe Linton, knocked straight onto Willick. Willick one touch out to out to Maxi. Like it's, we're just not used to seeing that. You're right. You're just thinking, oh god, they're going to give the ball yeah. away, and they don't. It's 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 really accurate passing. You can tell it's what they've been working on all summer. It was evidence of it in the Bill Bow game. I think I mentioned last week. Like we're not we're not taking a touch and looking for the easy ball out to Paul Dummett at left back anymore. We are literally trying to break down a team through the middle of them, through the heart of them. Short yeah. passes. It doesn't matter if Joe Willock's got a man right on him. It doesn't matter if uh, if Joe Linton's got a man right on him. He will control the ball and lay it off. And there's, there's so much trust between the teammates that those passes that we're getting nervous about, like we normally just used to seeing our player lose the ball and get dispossessed. It's not happening because yeah. they know what they're doing and it's it's really, really good. And another adjustment we're having to make yeah, as, as observers of this football. I am. Um, the the thing is as well, the odd one that didn't make it, like the odd one that was lost, was immediately scooped up, usually by Trippier. He just seems to appear and take it back. Like yeah. it, the, the, there's no there's no like, oh man, we've lost that. Like, it's just like, oh, that's fine. We'll, we'll go and get it. Spot on. Yeah, totally agree. It's it's lovely to see. Norman, you wanted to talk um, a lot about our midfield three who were just absolutely all over. Nottingham Forest yesterday, weren't they? They were giants yesterday. And then they are giants as well, physically. We've got a really <laughs> powerful midfield. Um, Joe Linton just seems to get more muscular as the weeks gone by. I don't know where he's going to end up by the end of next season, but it'll be seven foot five and basically about 400 kilos. Wrong way to say it. Um, the, what, I, what I enjoyed yesterday was, look, if John Joe Shelby had been available, may, he may well have started that game, possibly ahead of Joe Willock, um, who was absolutely sensational yesterday, by the way, Willock. Utterly brilliant. Um, what I saw yesterday, and it surprised me a little bit, was actually Guimaraes playing that sort of more withdrawn role that he plays at Lyon. That, that he played at Lyon. And what that allowed was, it allowed Joelinton, uh, uh, we'll, we'll do it properly, Joelinton, to, um, to play... That box to box rule that I think we spoke about on numerous occasions last season, and there was a bit of debate like, oh, can it be, can it be box to box? And I always thought, yeah, this kid's got the energy levels to do it. And and he's been brought into football as an attacking player. And we can see that he's got natural defensive capabilities. So why, why can't he play this kind of box to box rule? And I think yesterday, that, that's the rule that he played in. He was, he was absolutely sensational. I don't know how, many, how, how much of the pitch he covered, but I'd imagine if he kind of squared it off into, I don't know, 50, 50 centimeter squares, he probably would have touched every single one of them. He was that that energetic. And Guimaraes, just completely controlled the game from that position at the back, almost like 
And I'm going to maybe move into hyperbole here, but he's got the potential to, to be better than him. Almost like Vieira did in his pomp at Arsenal, just absolutely controlling the game from the back of the pitch and, and controlling it to the extent it allows a player like Julian Thorne, it allows a player like Willock to just make these darting runs all over the pitch and coming back to what you two were talking about in terms of these um, popping off these like sort of one-touch passes, what we've got is players who in very sort of tight spaces can can make, can not only retain the ball but can find a pass when they've got two or three players around them. Yeah. And I think Gimaraish being at the back with these with these two midfielders in front, these three players being able to operate in these kind of sort of these really tight spaces, it, I'd struggle to look at the Premier League right now and think where would you get a better midfield three? I'm talking like in terms of that overall skill set if you combine them. Name, name me a better, like a better midfield three. I, I, I'm, again, I'm probably going into huge exaggeration. I post match excitement and all that. But right now, I, I'm thinking to myself, this is a midfielder could match anyone. And you know what the beauty of it is as well. We had Sean Longstaff come on, who you know his first couple of touches were a bit, a bit ropey, but then he settled very quickly. We've got John Joe Shelby injured, but to come back as well. Shelby who played a huge role in the team last season, by the way, but has also been, as you've maintained for years, Alex, a player that Newcastle United when he's in the team play better. Um, and we've also got the young kid Elliot Anderson there as well. So we are well stacked for midfielders and it's um, a very unique position to be in. We've literally got a midfield three out there yesterday and a midfield three on the bench. I mean, plus Shelby, that could come in and, and do a job as well. It's uh, I mean, it's sensational, right? A couple of things I'd add there, Norman, um, as well as Joe Linton's physicality, Bruno Guimaraes, for, for for a seemingly quite small lad in comparison to his, his uh, countrymen there. Big compared to me, um, by the way. He's a huge <laughs> lad if you ask me. Yeah. Um, Nottingham Forest, who are, are quite a physical team, their players just like they're trying to tackle him and they bounce off him. He's so strong. He's so good at muscling people off the ball. Yeah. Like he's just he's so difficult to dispossess. But um, especially in the first half, those three, all I've I've spent months, maybe years, saying that everything we do comes through St. Maximan. And I think it's the first time I've been able to say that all of our attacking threat didn't come through Alan St. Maximan because of those midfield three. Yes, they were linking it with Maxi, they were linking it with uh, Miggy on the other side, but all of our key chances in that first half fell to Joe Linton, Bruno, or Joe Willock, because that that passing move we keep talking about, there was always one of them freed up edge of the box with a, with a chance to move into the box and take a shot or to to beat one more man and take a shot, and that all comes about from exactly what we've just been talking about the the creating space. Now Forest were 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 hending quite deep; they were getting everyone behind the ball, and it took that intricate passing and that kind of unlocking of their team to to make that space. But it worked three or four times. We got some really good chances in that first half just from that midfield three. So Norman, I absolutely agree. Like. I can't, I can't remember seeing a better midfield three for Newcastle United, and, and it's tough to think of others in the Premier League on the spot. So, yeah, what a what a they that was the game we won that game in midfield yesterday. Eden, um, I reckon as well. There's probably in each of those players who started yesterday, if they stay fit, sixty-eight goals each, and I'm talking about. I think, and, and that's that's huge, right? I think we'll see Joe Linton score goals this season, especially in this role that he's playing now. And if you look at you know you look at his finishes last season, actually. He scuffed a shot yesterday. Maybe that was a bit of an issue in terms of his confidence when he's directly in on goal. It's not instinctive. You know, we saw instinctive mm. at Brentford last season, did we, for example, um, Norwich to a certain extent. But there, there are goals in him. Um, what I will say as a final point on that on that midfield is, referring back to the physicality, Alex, Man United, 4-1 away, first season in the Premier League. Man United's players looked twice the size it was. Yesterday it was a rules reversed. We dominated for us. We looked bigger and more powerful than them. And you saw evidence of that, obviously, because we bullied them, as we did Arsenal last season. Totally agree, mate. And I think your point on 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 Joe Linton and, and other players' attacking contributions. What did we see from Joe Linton and Willock in particular, driving towards the opposition goal, yeah. making their players run backwards, create you know creating sp- other players creating space for them, particularly Miguel Moron, who will come on to. But 
you know, Joe Linton, I can remember several positive touches in the penalty area. Joe Linton should score the the greatest goal of his career. It's such a <laughs> shame that was, he kind of shanks it and it goes beyond the post. But he's capable of that. He's capable of picking the ball up near the halfway line and running, beating three men and, and scoring. Hasn't done it yet, but he is capable of it. And then the assist for the second goal, not only does Joe Linton win the ball back in their final third of the pitch, he then makes the run, gets on the end, puts a great ball into Callum Wilson, who for the kind of one of the few times in the game lost that centre-back who was marking him. And it's, it's a couple of um, nice little parallels yesterday. Um, one, Wilson almost scored an identical goal against Arsenal at the back end of last season. It went just over the boss. It's something that he's good at and he's practised on. It's no fluke. And then Fabian Shaw um, recreates what he did against Burnley back in sometime in the past. 2019. 2019, 2019 yeah. Um, almost an identical goal. I just love the fact, to move on to the defence slightly, I just love the fact that you cannot save that. If you're a goalkeeper, if, if you can save that, you're hideously out of position um, and leaving the, like, the whole other side Rob of Elliott the Rob Elliott would have got it. <laughs> Nick Pope probably would have got it because he's class, but I don't, know he if he good, would, I don't know if he was in goal for Burnley that day. So, <laughs> uh, well, who he, knows? he knows where to stand if Cher's got the ball now. <laughs> um, Norman, you, you want to talk about the defence, mate, and how impressed you were. We completely and utterly stopped them playing sort of what I would re- I reckon I reckon more defensive lane yesterday when they were attacking was around about sort of 35 yards on average they just, they just didn't they just didn't get past it the organisation is absolutely incredible and that comes back to what Charlotte said about we're being well drilled in terms of you know how, how we're popping the ball off right it's all it's all kind of interlinked that the, the defenders defensive players like the the midfielders like the attackers have got the, the capacity to to find each other in tight spots um, and that back line that we have at the moment, you know, I think again it goes to strength and depth. Sven Botman was on the bench yesterday, and I think I think that was the right decision by Hell because that defensive understanding that Hell and Shea built up last season was was incredible. We, we conceded barely any goals, bar two anomalies right away to um, Man City and Spurs, yeah. and that was never going to happen yesterday. And Target, I think, kind of picked up where he left off as well. Preseason. I mean, I've said this on a couple of podcasts preseason that I think we need to have someone in the challenge Target because I'm, I'm a bit concerned if he gets injured, right? Such as he's is his ability as a left-back. I don't think we've got anyone in the squad any, anywhere near that. You could argue Dan Byrne could cover for him. But um, I think that he, you know, he comes in from Aston Villa for what, 12 and a half million or 15 million if you include the learn fee last season. And I look at him, I think, how would it look at Dinia cost twice the price? This kid, he was absolutely superb yesterday. Superb to the point that he was just, there was nothing spectacular. He just did his job and he did it particularly well. I thought Trippier was excellent going forward. I don't think he was tested necessarily defensively. That again, that might be down to the fact that he's just very good at keeping a you know keeping a wide man quiet. But those two centre halves, Burn and Shea, look, Dan Burn, he's had all the superlatives thrown at him since he signed, right? But Fabian Shea, yesterday, three and a half million from Deportivo La Coruña. Gotta keep remembering that, right? Steve Bruce doesn't know how to use him really. Fabian Shea is a player who suffered injury after injury at Newcastle as well because he clearly hasn't been conditioned. The manager, right? There's obviously, you know, he obviously needs to be managing it in an individual tailored fitness program, which is what all players need now that in the Premier League, they wouldn't have been getting that under the previous manager. And now we're seeing this kid in Fabian Shea, and you're thinking, how did he cost three and a half million? Um, but all in all, mate, that that, that defence, again, God, I'm making my sound like we're the best team in the league. I've just said the midfield three is the best three in the midfield. <laughs> now I'm thinking, this is a better back four. There probably is more <laughs> right now from where I'm sitting. It doesn't feel like it also. Do you know last season um, we kept our first clean sheet against Burnley in December? Kept one on the first day of the season this year. Absolutely superb. It's class. It took us 14, 14 games to win one last season. Just December? December. It was December before we won a game. It's nuts to think about, isn't it? Unbelievable. Oh, how far we've come. Unbelievable. 
Let's talk about one player who has attracted a little bit of criticism. Sorry, I'll start with you on this one, mate. Uh, Miguel Almiron, it is the part of the pitch that I think most fans would like to see a signing made. He had a fantastic preseason. What did you make of him and, and his slight issue with his right foot yesterday? Yeah, yeah. If he could use that right foot, we would have won like four or five mil. Um, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was, he was, it was really, really refreshing, as I just said before, to, to see us have a threat on both sides of the pitch. It wasn't all down the left-hand side. Miggy and Trippier, and actually I'm going to include Bruno Gamaris in this because all of the uh, the all of the runs that Miggy was making, there was a ball to match it. So he was getting balls on the end of these runs. There was balls over the top from Trippier that he was running onto. There was these cutting passes from Bruno every five minutes that, that Miggy was in that gap and he just they're in sync those two I, I think that's quite scary like Bruno and Miggy know exactly where to be with each other they know where to lay it off they know where to run I think we've seen a Miguel run that, that often got accused of running around like a headless chicken in, in previous seasons but I don't think that's right I think that what he's doing is running making very clever runs and he's never had the teammates to find that pass before and now he does and it it just Nottingham Forest did not know what to do with him. He was in behind so many times. And like I said, there's a, there's a bit of work to be done on the final ball maybe. And because he's so left-footed, he, he tends to want to go back on his left foot and he tends to not want to get the shot off. There was a brilliant one in the second half where he cuts inside. He touches past one more play and you just want him to shoot. It's like, finish it. And he takes another touch and then he ends up having to lay it off to Maxi Man. So it's just that kind of, that final decision-making that maybe he needs to work on. But he was so important yesterday and so crucial to how we were breaking down Nottingham Forest. And, and one of the reasons that I was never really worried that we wouldn't get the goal, Norman. Back up what you say there, exactly, 100%. I think with Miggy, it's almost like we're, we're kind of looking for him to be this perfect player, right? I think we have, we, you know, we, we need to, I guess, accept the fact that he's right foot. It's never going to be much, you know, in, in terms of a of a weapon, right? Uh, he'd scored a great goal away to uh, Benfica, obviously, with his right. But, mm. you know, I think that that's a one-off. I look at it like this, I think, right. So could we replace Miggy Almiron with a, a very expensive and better player? Probably, right? But what we have as a player who causes absolute chaos. So let's say we bring in someone who can maybe, you know, whip in a good cross or who can use the, both the right and the left foot. But that player also have to bring what Miggy brings in terms of just the ability to cause complete chaos at the back. And that's what he does. As you see, he buzzes round, he works left to right, he gets in between defenders and he causes the, the, the trouble that allows players like Maxi to spend a bit more time on the ball, um, creates the space for the midfielders to come through late, i.e. Willick and Jolinton. So right now, I, I can't, I don't want to criticise him. I don't want to see, oh, you know, if he had a right foot, we would have won 5 0, which is, is a fair comment. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? If Miggy hadn't been on the pitch yesterday, we probably wouldn't have won 2 0. So, I mean, you know, maybe I'm exaggerating again. But he was vital to that 2 0 victory yesterday, is all I'm saying. So, despite his faults, I still think what Howe has got out of him is, is superb. And he's very much, a, as far as I can see, a part of this team. And I don't think there's anyone in this room who probably didn't think somewhere that he might be shipped on in the summer just gone. What yeah. he's done is, is he's proved that he's actually a very important part of Howe's plans. And, and he'll only get better and better. So let's forget about the fact that he can't, he's not very good with his right foot and there's a couple of things that he's lacking in. Let's look at what he can do, what yeah. he brings to the team and what he brings to the team is absolutely vital, I think. And especially against teams like Forrest, teams that are going to kind of sit deep and, and defend, he can cause that chaos, as I say, that that opens up the space that uh, we'll need against these teams. Kind of two points that you've touched on there that I've, I've been thinking about with regards to Almiron. Firstly, against teams like Forrest, you're absolutely right. That is that is his game. Like he can he creating that space and, and getting those those balls like the Trippier balls and, and the Gimaraish balls. Um he he is getting those. I wonder if he against a, a sort of a so called bigger club or a or a team with a bit bit more capability going forward at, at I don't know that those are his games. But then having said that, what you've also said there, Norman, is what Howe's got out of him. 
and it's not like we're just that's that this is this is the top of um Almiron's game necessarily we we thought we'd seen the top of Joe Linton's game and it's getting better and better every time we watch him so at, you know how and Tyndall watching yesterday are making notes okay he's weaker on his right we're gonna have to drill that we're gonna have to do this we're gonna have to do that and so I have faith that um that he is going to play a really integral part in our season this season it wasn't the the, the you know it th- that we had trouble in that sort of final third um yesterday particularly in the first half but we sort of eased into the game and it's the first game of the season he, he had trouble there too I think that they will work on that. I think that that will get better as the season goes on because everybody is getting better every time we watch them play. So uh, reservations, but also faith in the training staff. He'll score against Man City, by the way. Uh, <laughs> as a point to Jack Grealish and just run up in his face and laugh. After Joe Linton's obviously, you know, put a producer straight into a big, big Jack, big little Jack. <laughs> Quickly from me on Almiron, he... I thought he had an okay game. I thought the fact that he is involved in as many attacking situations as he was is positive. Him and Bruno Gamares, fantastic little relationship they've got going on. I kind of agree with you, Nolan, to an extent that a lot of the balls played through. I don't think any other player could get on the end of any way to, to, to then frustrate the crowd. However, um, you know, Eddie Howe, one of the things I like what Eddie Howe was yesterday, he wasn't stood there full-time saying everything's perfect. He said, well, we're fantastic. We're dominating the game. It was great. We've got to be more clinical in this mm-hmm. Premier League. Miguel Almiron has probably made the case that they need to bring someone in that position. On the flip side, he's probably playing out of position. He doesn't want to play on the right-hand side. He wants to play yeah. on the left-hand side. He's a yeah. left-foot player. We've got Fraser, ASM and Almiron who all want to play left. So, you know, it doesn't be too harsh on him because ultimately he's, he's playing out of position um, and still making a really positive contribution. If we want to finish in the top six or at least be in the conversation towards the end of the season. And I know not everyone thinks that will happen me and Norman do, we do need probably a player in that position who can better... Yeah, you know, we be- don't have any depth there, do we? Yeah, but better um, better impact the game in terms of what they do in the penalty area. Because Miggy yesterday was fantastic outside of the box. It's when he was in the box that we're even having this conversation about these things. And it's kind of the opposite of Callum Wilson. Callum Wilson gets kind of three touches in the opposition box and two are shots on target and one's a goal. That's the kind of level that you need if you're going to be in that conversation for the top seven, six places in this league. But like you say, I think it's all great points made. Um, I don't know if there was any other players. I think Norman, was it Nick Pope you want to discuss, mate? Should we just do all 11? Yeah. Can I just do all 11? Yeah, Can I just go and do them right now quickly? Um, no, so <laughs> Nick Pope, right? What we saw yesterday was he barely had a touch of the ball during the game, by the way. Yeah. But you know what we saw was, I think we did a, a podcast on Pope with a, a Burnley fan, um, Mike Landers, who's been on True Faith Podcast on many occasions. He's always good value. Um, he said that what you'll get with Pope is... You, you realise that he doesn't actually make that many saves because he basically controls sort of like the, the 20 yards from, from his goal. And we saw yesterday, he was on the edge of his box all the time. And every time they attacked, he was just there. He was collecting balls just inside the box, picking them up, or, he, or he's clearing them. He reads the game really well. And, that, and that's that's kind of what I want. I want a goalkeeper who doesn't need to make many saves because he reads it brilliantly. He was fantastic on crosses as well, by the way, which, yeah. you know, I mean, he's, he's a, I mean again, he's another player who's about seven foot ten. <laughs> I love the fact that we're getting all these big players in, especially as a small man. I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm in awe of really tall people. But, um, the uh, it's it's just that that he's, he's got that command and presence, right? You know, I love Martin Dubravka, love him to bits, but a lot of Dubravka saves, and of course this is reflective of the team at the time. But a lot of these saves are world class saves, like on his line, right? Pope didn't. I, I'm, I'm going to get the impression that Pope won't have to do that much because of the fact that he just commands the box. Um, Robbie Elliott was the same, loads of brilliant saves on the line, but he just had no command in the box at all. Pope is 
to me, he's almost like an extension of the ten outfield players because he can he can he can come out that far and he can he, he can roll out balls quickly. I don't know if you noticed it yesterday, but he was he was he was flashing them straight out in the relay. That was the power. Well, like, again, again, like this this well drilled this this popping off these quick passes. We've got a goalkeeper who can do that as well, right? Mm. Bang! He gets the ball and he sounds bang. He's rolled it out to someone's feet. Um, excellent, excellent signing and an absolute bargain for the price you've got him. England's number one, no doubt. I love it. I love it. I love him. He was class. <laughs> to finish the show, I think it's worth saying. Um, I want to be the kind of person I want to be able to go back and look at you know the XG and touches in the box and you know absorb the game a second time through stats and through articulate analysis by others. But part of me about yesterday, as class as we were, just feels like they were just a bit shit. Yeah, they were just a, a bit shite, right? Yeah, I'd like I would like to talk about that. I mean, obviously, Nottingham Forest, newly promoted team. Everyone was saying, no, that could be a banana skin because you normally get these promoted teams with a big amount of momentum, but. Forest had a lot of lone players last season. They had a lot of uh, players who have left. So I think there were six players making their debut for Forest, maybe a seventh off the bench yesterday. They weren't very good. And that's the only reason for my concern at the very top of this show is that the, the football was, was all right. We, we dominated them, but they, they will be the worst team in the league. They will get relegated again. They'll probably finish bottom and have a very paltry number of points. So I think we will have to up our game against every other opposition to come. And I'm glad you said what, what Eddie Howe did, which was that it was good and it was encouraging, but there's work to be done. We need to be to be better than that against against better teams. And t- we won't get as many chances. We won't get four or five clear-cut first-half chances against Man City in two weeks. We won't get four or five clear-cut chances against against Brighton next week. You know, We're going to have to start being more clinical. And that isn't just Miggy, by the way. Joe Linton, um, Joe Willock, um, Maxi all had excellent chances in the first half and second half yesterday. That we need to start taking those. So yeah, there's there's improvements to be made to to turn a two 0 win against Nottingham Forest into far more wins against better teams. I agree, but at the same time, I, I don't think they're that bad. And I think will they finish bottom? I don't know. I can see them finishing above uh, Bournemouth, Fulham, Everton, perhaps. Hopefully, um, mm-hmm. but they still had a couple of chances yesterday. So I don't think they were that bad. I mean, you think it uh, was it at one 0 when Surridge had the chance with the header, the ball came in. It, at nil nil, I think Lingard in the first half had a really good chance as well. I don't think they were that bad. I thought they very much reflected what they were. It was a newly promoted side trying to bed six players. And I actually thought in the first half, Lewis O'Brien in particular, the number 14, given that he was up against three of the best midfielders in the world, obviously. Um, <laughs> I thought he 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 coped quite well. Um, obviously, Jack Callback put him on good tackle and then faded away, which was really quite funny to see. But um, they the, the weren't that bad. So I'm going to focus more on that we were just excellent, didn't give him a second on the ball, completely attacked him from the off, and we were brilliant as opposed to them being really bad. I think we'll see them pick up quite a few points at home, and I think Cooper's actually a good manager who's got his head screwed on. He probably learned lots from that. So, yeah, they weren't great, but at the same time, we were just fantastic. Let's let's live on that. Yeah, I think that's it for me. We were good, but they were bad. The, the two were allowed to exist at the same time. Like it, We weren't only good because they were bad. We were good because we were good. We were mm. Good because we were well-drilled. They, but they weren't very good. We forced them into six at the back at one point. Like, I mean, much has been made of their like corner where they all were in the halfway line and then just ran in and they just calmly collected the <laughs> ball. I mean, that's not Premier League football. Sorry, but it's not. They might be bad, but they'll never have um, the equivalent of John Joe Shelby as a centre-half, which would be Jesse Lingard dropping in at centre-half. When we see that, that's when you know a team's really bad. <laughs> That, that does it this week for the True Faith Podcast. Thanks to you three for your time and joining me so early on a Sunday morning. And thanks to everyone for listening. Like I say, if you like what we do, please consider becoming a patron for eight quid a month. It keeps this show free and we'll do loads more.
podcast for you. Um, we'll be back with this free podcast. There'll probably be a free podcast out this week. I'm not sure what it'll be yet, but we'll be definitely back next Sunday morning with Charlotte as you're at Brighton. I am at Brighton. The big one, Brighton. Smash them, I'm sure. And uh, speak to you all then. Bye-bye. <laughs>